Chapter Seven of Deephaven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, September two thousand eight. Deephaven by Sarah Orrin Jewett. Chapter Seven, Captain Sands. Old Captain Sands was one of the most prominent citizens of Deephaven, and a very good friend of Kate's and mine. We often met him and grew much interested in him before we knew him well. He had a reputation in town for being peculiar and somewhat visionary, but every one seemed to like him. And at last, one morning, when we happened to be on our way to the wharves, we stopped at the door of an old warehouse which we had never seen opened before. Captain Sands sat just inside, smoking his pipe, and we said good morning and asked him if he did not think there was a fog coming in by and by. We had thought a little of going out to the lighthouse. The captain rose slowly and came out so that he could see farther round to the east. There's some scud coming in already, said he. None to speak of yet. I don't know's you can see it. Yes, you're right. There's a heavy bank of fog laying off, but it won't be in under two or three hours yet, unless the wind backs round more and freshens up. Weren't thinking of going out, were ye? A little, said Kate, but we had nearly given it up. We are getting to be very weather-wise, and we pride ourselves on being quick at seeing fogs. At which the captain smiled and said we were considerable young to know much about weather, but it looked well that we took some interest in it. Some young people were fools about weather, and would just as soon set off to go anywhere right under the edge of a thunder shower. Come in and set down, won't ye? He added, "It ain't much of a place. I've got a lot of old stuff stowed away here that the women folks don't want up to the house." I'm a great hand for keeping things, and he looked round fondly at the contents of the wide low room. I come down here once in a while and let in the sun, and sometimes I want to hunt up something or another, kind of stowaway place, you see. And then he laughed apologetically, rubbed his hands together, and looked out to sea again, as if he wished to appear unconcerned. Yet we saw that he wondered if we thought it ridiculous for a man of his age to have treasured up so much trumpery in that cobwebby place. There were some whole oars in the sail of his boat, and two or three killicks and painters, not to forget a heap of worn-out oars and sails in one corner, and a sailor's hammock slung across the beam overhead. And there were some sailors' chests and the capstan of a ship, and innumerable boxes which all seemed to be stuffed full. Besides, no end of things lying on the floor and packed away on shelves and hanging to rusty, big-headed nails in the wall, I saw some great lumps of coral and large, rough shells, a great hornet's nest, and a monstrous lobster shell. The cap'n had cobbled and tied up some remarkable old chairs for the accommodation of himself and his friends. What a nice place! Said Kate in a frank, delighted way, which could not have failed to be gratifying. Well, no," said the cap'n with his slow smile. "It ain't what you'd rightly call nice, as I know of. 
"'It ain't never been cleared out all at once since I begin putting in. "'There's nothing that's worth anything either to anybody but me. "'Wife, she's said to me a hundred times, "'Why don't you overhaul them old things and burn them? "'She's always at me about letting the property, "'as if it were a corner lot in Broadway. "'That's all women folks know about business.' and here the captain caught himself tripping and looked uneasy for a minute. I suppose I might have let it for a fish-house, but it's most too far from the shore to be handy, and, well, there are some things here that I set a good deal by. "'Isn't that a swordfish's sword in that piece of wood?' Kate asked presently, and was answered that it was found broken off as we saw it in the hull of a wreck that went ashore on Blue Point when the captain was a young man, and he had sawed it out and kept it ever since, fifty-nine years. Of course, we went closer to look at it, and we both felt a great sympathy for this friend of ours, because we have the same fashion of keeping worthless treasures, and we understand perfectly how dear such things may be. "'Do you mind if we look around a little?' I asked doubtfully for I knew how I should hate having strangers look over my own treasury. But Captain Sands looked pleased at our interest, and said cheerfully that we might overhaul as much as we chose. Kate discovered first an old battered wooden figurehead of a ship, a woman's head with long curly hair falling over the shoulders. The paint was almost gone, and the dust covered most of what was left. Still, there was a wonderful spirit and grace, and a wild, weird beauty which attracted us exceedingly. But the captain could only tell us that it had belonged to the wreck of a Danish brig, which had been driven on the reef where the lighthouse stands now, and his father had found this on the long sands a day or two afterward. "'That was a dreadful storm,' said the captain. "'I've heard the old folks tell about it. It was when I was only a year or two old.' There were three merchantmen wrecked within five miles of Deephaven. This one was all stove to splinters, and they used to say she had treasures aboard. When I was small, I used to have a great idea of going out there to the rocks at low water and trying to find some gold, but I never made out no great. And he smiled indulgently at the thought of his youthful dream. Kate, said I, do you see what beauties these Turks head knots are? We had been taking a course of first lessons in knots from Danny, and had followed by learning some charmingly intricate ones from Captain Lant, the stranded mariner who lived on a farm two miles or so inland. Kate came over to look at the Turks' heads, which were at either end of the rope handles of a little dark blue chest. Captain Sands turned in his chair and nodded approval. "'That's a neat piece of work, and it was a first-rate seaman who did it. He's dead and gone years ago, poor young fellow. An Italian, he was, who sailed on the ranger three or four long voyages. He fell from the masthead on the voyage from Caleo. Captain Manning and old Mr. Lorimer, they owned the ranger, and when she came into port and they got the news, they took it, as much to heart as if he'd been some relation. He was smart as a whip and had a way with him, and the pleasantest kind of a voice— you couldn't help liking him. They found out that he had a mother alive in Port Mahon, and they sent his pay and some money he had in the bank at Riverport, 
out to her by a ship that was going to the Mediterranean. He had some clothes in his chest, and they sold those and sent her the money. All but some trinkets they supposed he was keeping for her. I recollect he used to speak considerable about his mother. I shipped one voyage with him before the mast, before I went out mate of the daylight. I happened to be in port the time the ranger got in, and I see this chist laying round in Captain Manning's storehouse, and I offered to give him what it was worth. But we was good friends, and he told me take it if I wanted it. It was no use to him, and I've kept it ever since. There are some of his traps in it now, I believe. You can look. And we took off some tangled cod lines and opened the chest. There was only a round wooden box in the till, and in some idle hour at sea the young sailor had carved his initials and an anchor and the date on the cover. We found some sail-needles and a palm in his kit, as the sailors call it, and a little string of buttons with some needles and yarn and thread in a neat little bag, which perhaps his mother had made for him when he started off on his little voyage. Besides these things, there was only a fanciful little broken buckle, green and gilt, which he might have picked up in some foreign street, and his protection paper, carefully folded, wherein he was certified as being citizen of the United States, with dark complexion and dark hair. "'He was one of the pleasantest fellows that ever I shipped with,' said the captain, with a gruff tenderness in his voice. "'Always willing to do his work himself, and likes not, when the other fellows up on the rigging were cold or ugly about something or another, he'd say something that would set them all laughing, and somehow it made you good-natured to see him round.' He was brought up a Catholic, I suppose. Anyway, he had some beads, and sometimes they would joke him about em on board ship. But he would blaze up in a minute, ugly as a tiger. I never saw him mad about anything else, though he wouldn't stand it if anybody tried to crowd him. He fell from the main to a gallant yard to the deck, and was dead when they picked him up. They were off the Bermudas. I suppose he lost his balance, but I never could see how. He was sure-footed, and as quick as a cat. They said they saw him try to catch at the stay, but there was a heavy sea running, and the ship rolled just so's to let him through between the rigging, and he struck the deck like a stone. I don't know's that chest has been opened these ten years. I declare it carries me back to look at those poor little traps of his. Well, it's the way of the world. We think we're somebody, and we have our day— but it isn't long before we're forgotten. The captain reached over for the paper, and taking out a clumsy pair of steel-bowed spectacles, read it through carefully. I'll warrant he took good care of this, said he. He was an Italian, and no more of an American citizen than a Chinese. I wonder he hadn't called himself John Jones. That's the name most of the foreigners used to take when they got their papers. I remember once I was sick with a fever in Chelsea Hospital, and one morning they came bringing in the mate of a Portuguese brig on a stretcher, and the surgeon asked what his name was. John Jones, says he. Oh, say something else, says the surgeon. We've got five John Joneses here already, and it's getting to be no name at all. Sailors are great hands for false names. They have a trick of using them when they have any money to leave ashore, for fear their shipmates will go and draw it out. I suppose there are thousands of dollars unclaimed in New York banks 
where men have left it charged to their false names. Then they get lost at sea or something, and never go to get it, and nobody knows whose it is. They're curious folks, take em all together, sailors is, especially them foreign fellows that wander about from ship to ship. They're getting to be a dreadful low set, too, of late years. It's the last thing I'd want a boy of mine to do, ship before the mast with one of these mixed crews. It's a dog's life anyway, and the risks and the chances against you are awful. It's a good while before you can lay up anything, unless you are part owner. I saw all the points a good deal plainer after I quit following the sea myself, though I've always been more or less into navigation until this last war came on. I know when I was ship's husband of the Polly and Susan, there was a young man went out captain of her. Her last voyage, and she never was heard from. He had a wife and two or three little children, and for all he was so smart, they would have been about the same as beggars if I hadn't happened to have his life insured the day I was having the papers made out for the ship. I happened to think of it. Five hundred dollars there was, and I sent it to the widow along with his primage. She hadn't expected nothing, or next to nothing, and she was pleased, I tell ye. I think it was very kind in you to think of that, Captain Sands, said Kate. And the old man said, flushing a little, Well, I'm not so smart as some of the men who started when I did, and some of em went ahead of me, and some of em didn't, after all. I've tried to be honest, and to do just about as nigh right as I could. And you know there's an old saying, that a cripple in the right road will beat a racer in the wrong. End of chapter 7